Second Kings chapter 5, and we're going to begin in verse 20. And if you're familiar with this account, then you'll know who I'm talking about when I say Naaman the leper. Naaman the leper was a commander of the Syrian army back in the days of Elisha, the prophet who, well, took a position, you might say, took the position as prophet to God's people after Elijah was taken up. And one of his more impressive Better known, renowned miracles was in uh, directing this man, Naaman, and how to be healed of this leprosy. And so this is picking up just after that took place, after Naaman was directed to go bathe in the River Jordan seven times, came up with skin like a baby. It's a beautiful story. Uh, Reacquaint yourself with that story if, if you're not familiar with it. But we're going to pick up after that miracle took place. And he had offered Elisha a gift after that miracle had taken place which Elisha refused. And we'll talk more about that here in just a moment. But we're going to read verses 20 through 27 there to complete that chapter. And it'll be a bit of a long read, so settle in for a moment. There it says, But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Look, my master has spared Naaman this Syrian, while not receiving from his hands what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me, saying, Indeed, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments. Let me just say, in case you didn't pick it up, he's lying here. He's lying to this man, Naaman. So Naaman said, Please take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and handed them to two of his servants, and they carried them on ahead of him. When he came to the citadel, he took them from their hand and stored them away in the house. Then he let the men go, and they departed. Now he went in and stood before his master. Elisha said to him, Where did you go, Gehazi? And he said, Your your servant did not go anywhere. Then he said to him, Did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And Gehazi went out from his presence, leprous as white as snow. An unfortunate and a rather pitiable moment there, but that's where we're going to pause and we're going to ask the Lord to bless our lesson tonight. Heavenly Father, we approach you this evening boldly coming before the throne of grace because we can. I thank you, Lord, that you have given us that privilege, you've given us that right, and so we come boldly asking you, Lord, to bring from this word to our hearts exactly what you have for us to know, exactly what you have for us to feel and think. Father, bring something from this word, Father, that we might consider and chew on and apply to our lives and be blessed in it eternally. Father, we know you can do this. We know that you will do it if we will just receive. Help us to take comfort in your word, take joy in this time of fellowship together. We give you the glory and the praise always, Father. You are due. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, in speaking about gifts, I mean, that's kind of what's being dealt with here in regards to Naaman. Naaman would call it a payment, I would imagine, what he was offering to Elisha, but isn't looking at gifts to begin with. Uh, at their purest, in their purest form, a gift is a kindness. 
a kindness that expresses love or appreciation for someone. I don't have to tell you what a gift is. Merriam-Webster defines it as something voluntarily transferred by one person to another without compensation. That's a little wordy, a little bit stiff, maybe a little bit sterile. It's something that's given to somebody because you love them, perhaps. I'm just putting it kind of a little bit deeper than perhaps all gifts are. But you understand it's, I feel you're worthy of something. I want to give you something that expresses something that I feel towards you. And so you don't expect anything in return. And so when those gifts are received in their purest form, then that's how they should be received, is received as a kindness. And there's a certain measure of kindness in receiving those things for what they are. Now, the problem being is that people get involved with gifts. There are at least two that are involved, the giver and the receiver. And when one's intentions and motivations or one's thoughts and approach to that gift giving or that gift exchange Uh, When one is different than the other, or one has ulterior motives, or just negative, brings a negative connotation to it, then it can be problematic, right? Gift giving, well, there are just some issues with it, you know? There's a difference of opinion on value, perhaps, so it makes one chapped. (laughs) You give me this garbage? What are you talking about? I deserve much better than this. Uh, Yeah, perhaps that might be the situation. Um, There might be varying opinions between the two on what occasion justifies a gift. There might be differences in opinion and obligation and just the sense of feeling obligated to give a gift. Just in being obligated to give a gift to somebody removes the whole intent of it, right? Well, I guess I better get them something. It is their birthday or it is their anniversary and they're going to be expecting something. Now that removes the feeling of kindness and the feeling of appreciation for that person. Um, Also, a conflict of interest can be introduced there. There can be a conflict of interest involved depending on the situation. The old organizations that I worked for, the two cities that I, three cities I worked for, as a matter of fact, they all had policies that dictated to some measure or another what we could receive, accept as a gift. You know, if you want to kill a firefighter, all you have to do is poison some chocolate chip cookies and drop them off at the station because we would come back from a call and here's a pie or a cake or just a bunch of nasty-looking cookies sometimes. I mean, no disrespect, but not everyone's just a top-shelf chef. But you firefighters and, and previous public servants, you know what would happen. We'd lay there, where'd these come from? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> just put them down, wrapped up in some saran wrap, maybe flick the cat hair off of it. You know, I was pretty hesitant to eat some of those things, but ultimately you get hungry or you just get bored and you eat that. You want to kill a firefighter, man, just lace some cookies with some, uh, some rat poison or something and you can kill a whole mess of them. I digress. That being, that being said... We were all right in accepting nasty chocolate chip cookies. That was just one of those things that was just accepted, and people shared their appreciation with us. Uh, We weren't supposed to accept things over a certain dollar value, and you certainly couldn't exchange something for it, right? Uh, Because once that happens, there's that conflict of interest. Why are you giving me this gift? Well, you know, here's free free tanning for the next month if you'll overlook the extension cords that are tucked back here. See what I'm saying? Violating code, and maybe I'll exchange you um, overlooking on an inspection what shouldn't be overlooked, and I get something in return. What is that called? It's called corruption, right? Corruption, even if it's on a real tiny level. Gifts can be corrupted. Gift giving can be corrupted when someone's, well, one or more parties there uh, have ulterior motives and less than ideal motives. Unfortunately, this man Gehazi 
He got corrupted, didn't he? Or he approached it with a corruptible or corrupted mentality, this gift giving. He wanted something that his master was unwilling to receive from Naaman. He wanted it to a measure that he was willing to lie for it, as I pointed out while we read our opening passage there. And we understand as we read that passage that his actions, they cost him, didn't they? Rather dire consequences when you get right down to it. And that's what we're going to consider this evening, this man Gehazi, and those elements of this account here. Now, as I mentioned earlier, gifts are pretty nice. You know, I, I like gifts if they're brought, again, in their purest form. I love you. I want you to have this. I would receive it in, in that same love. But there is a conflict of interest here. When there's an appearance of reproach, then the blessing of that situation, of that gift, in giving or receiving or both, can be corrupted. And the blessing that should have come from something can be messed up. Now, Elisha knew this. And he told Naaman. As a matter of fact, he sent someone else out to tell Naaman, didn't he? Go bathe in the Jordan seven times when that man came. Are you kidding me? I have much better water sources in my own land. And he got set straight, certainly, and he was cleansed. And when he came to offer Elisha a gift for this, Elisha said no. And we see that in verse 15 of this same chapter there. He felt it very clearly that he was not supposed to receive something uh, as a result. He wasn't supposed to take something in exchange, you might say. Uh, And he returned, Naaman did, to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him. And he said, indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. Take this as, as a, an expression of my appreciation, or you might even say, perhaps in payment. But he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, this is Elisha speaking, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. There are times, you can read in Scripture, where that wasn't the case. Again, I believe Elisha was 100% in the right here, obviously, Uh, He was a man who followed after the Lord's will, desired it for his life, has a testimony of doing so. Uh, Everything turned out exactly as the Lord would have had it um, with him uh, refusing this. It's very plain that he was in the will of God doing this. It's not always a situation the Lord had. Well, had his person turned down what was being offered. Uh, I could take you to, you can turn to Daniel chapter 2. For time's sake, I'm going to pass over Joseph's uh, Joseph's account there in Genesis 41, but you understand that Joseph, after his time of being sold into slavery, living in Potiphar's house for a time, then going to prison in Pharaoh's dungeons, he ended up standing before Pharaoh, interpreting a dream that troubled Pharaoh, and he got put up, right? He got put up. He was made second in Egypt, and you can read about that in Genesis chapter 41. We won't go there. But also, Daniel stood before Nebuchadnezzar. And he had interpreted his dream similar to what Joseph had done. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 47, we can read that account. The king answered Daniel after he'd interpreted and said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal the secret. That makes sense. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. 
Now, Joseph accepted this promotion, we understand, right? Joseph accepted it. He became second in command. Pharaoh, I believe his terminology was, you'll be second to me only when it comes to the throne. That's high power for that man. He didn't refuse it. Daniel didn't refuse it. Now, how come Elisha said, nope, I will take nothing from you? Uh, You know, the Syrians were no less an enemy than the Egyptians were. Had the potential of being, or would be, certainly. The Babylonians, for, for Pete's sake, they were in captivity there, right, with Daniel. Daniel accepted that. Well, there are a number of reasons, I think. I think that a simple one is just this. If you look at it, how come Daniel and Joseph were given to accept these promotions? Well, because look at what those promotions garnered them. The opportunity to bless a whole myriad, just a variety of people, including, in Joseph's situation, well, he, he implemented things, safeguards against a famine that was to come, right? Years of plenty followed by years of famine. Joseph said, let's store this up. It's coming. This is what this dream was. Store this up so that when the time comes that the famine arrives, we'll be taken care of. And you know what? We're going to make a boatload of money because we're going to sell, well, our abundance. And guess who he protected in doing that? Well, he protected Jacob. And the 12 tribes of Israel, when you get right down to it, he protected that lineage in doing that. That's, at least in part, why the Lord allowed Joseph to take that promotion, because he was put in that position of doing so. Daniel was in a place to serve and protect and minister to those exiles in Babylon at that time. In the process, he was in position to also witness and testify to Nebuchadnezzar, who I believe without question became a man of God. Salvation was, was his, we can read about in, in the book of Daniel. Uh, he was given to be a testimony to Darius the Mede later on after Darius took control of that kingdom. But you can see that the sphere of influence for these two in taking these promotions and taking these blessings and gifts that these dignitaries were, were wanting to give them Well, it benefited a whole lot more people than Elisha would have benefited in taking a talent of silver, some garments and that sort of thing. Now, could he have done something grand with it? Sure, he could have. You know, some windfall that just he could help some poor people or or that sort of thing. But, you know, there were limitations, certainly not the broad spread capability that those other two had. Listen, God knows exactly what all the details are, and God knows the reasons why he allows things and directs things and directs other things not to take place. And it might be puzzling to us, but I'm going to take Elisha at his word by his actions. He wasn't intended to take that. And we'll leave it at that. Uh, Daniel himself, you'll remember, there was a time when he didn't accept any gifts. Remember when Belshazzar, the king, saw the writing on the wall? And he's like, whew. What does that mean? And they said, bring Daniel out. And Daniel says, well, you've been weighed. You've been, well, you've been found wanting. Uh, your time's over. And he says, well, I'll give you a necklace, I believe. And I'll, and I'll give you, well, you'll be the third in the kingdom to me. And he says, eh, keep your gifts. And perhaps in the back of Daniel's mind, he recognized those gifts are going to be valueless here in about 24 hours because <laughs> you're going to bite the dust here in a bit. And sure enough, he did. And I'll leave it at that. Elisha's potential... Uh, for ministering via this, these gifts that Naaman was offering. It seems like it would have been not quite as widespread as Daniel's and Joseph's and some of the, some of the other ones that we read about in Scripture. Now, the greater blessing, 
that was there in this situation with Naaman. Greater than the money that would have been received and and doled out to whomever might have been needy or charitable, whatever the case might be. What was the greater blessing in that whole situation with Naaman? Well, in speaking about Gehazi, what should he have been satisfied with? I'll just say that I believe he should have been satisfied with being witness to the testimony that Naaman's cleansing was. Being witness to this man who came, well, from as far as he came, with his entourage, with this skin-rotting disease, to the measure that he wanted to be healed, wanted to be cleansed of this, uh, if it was what we typically call Hansen's disease in these days. You know, it can be disfiguring, it can be grotesque looking and all of those things. And it caused him discomfort on a number of levels probably. And he wanted to be rid of it. And Gehazi had the opportunity to sit back, not for the first time, and witness this man Elisha, who the power didn't come by him, it came through him. But he was able to sit back and watch this man of God, this man of faithfulness, this man of faith, sit and say, here's what you have to do. To this man with all of this power behind him, representing all of these things. Okay? I'm not, you dirty, dirty man. Elisha sat in there and said, I've said what I've said, essentially. And he got to watch Naaman go and bathe himself seven times and come up once again with skin like a baby. Man, do you recognize how priceless that is? How priceless that testimony is, that validation of faith, that validation of the Lord's goodness, that validation of obedience and what what comes from obedience. That was the greater blessing. Elisha was like, this is priceless. I don't need your money. But far be it from me to cheapen this situation, to cheapen all of the surrounding and peripheral things involved here, to cheapen it by taking any kind of measure of compensation for this. We can look at the testimony from this end, in this age, in the light of grace and in the light of Jesus and recognize that absolutely was a picture of the cleansing power of Jesus for free, for nothing. And Elisha, whether he recognized that or not, the far-reaching ripples of it, uh, we see that. And that's exactly what it was, and he stuck to it. Naaman, this cleansing is for free. God knew the greater benefit. He knows the big picture, as he always does. Elisha recognized where the blessing lay. If not knowing all of the extent of it, he recognized, I must not take anything out of this and cheapen the work as though I did something as though it was worth that money. Now, coming back to our man Gehazi, he didn't see that. And he chose poorly. And he, well, he suffered for it, we understand. Uh, Back in verse 20 of 2 Kings chapter 5. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, look. And he's speaking to himself in a a play text or or script. You might call this an aside. He's speaking aside. Look, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian while not receiving from his hand what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I'm going to run after him and take something from him. Now, he wasn't just going to go steal, although... You might say that there was a certain measure of theft there because it was gathered on deceitful ground, certainly. But he was going to go take something from him because he's like, Elisha didn't take it from him. He didn't receive it. The man brought it. And you can justify anything yourself, right? And that's what, he, what Gehazi was doing, justifying. He brought it. He didn't take it. Well, someone's got to benefit from this. Naaman's got everything that he wants, etc., etc. I'm going to go after him. And I'm going to receive something from him. 
You know, we see shades of that today. You, you know what I mean when I talk about often our society's concept and kind of theme of, I'm going to get mine. I'm going to make sure I get mine. Uh, our old union vice president, <laughs> I sat down at the table with him and I heard him one time uh, say very clearly and very succinctly and very intentionally, he says, my whole point and the point for the entire union executive board, our point is to get as much as we can for our doing as little as possible. And I said, I guess that is kind of summing it up, exactly what perhaps the whole union concept is. Getting all you can in exchange for as little as possible. I guess that's true, but maybe I'm an idealist, you know. And I thought to myself, that just sounds kind of slimy when you get right down to it. What's, where's the idealism there? On a natural level, I guess I'm an idealist. And I was like, whatever happened to doing your best work, you know, and getting compensated fairly, and both of you benefiting out of that. But, again, I digress. It is our culture and our society to get ours. And you know what? It's not just our society. It's this stuff. It's our flesh that looks to get our own. Not just financially. We want what we want despite what God tells us is good for us. You understand this. We want what we want because it feels right, whether it's financial, whether it's any other comfort, whether it's any other distraction, you understand completely. Uh, But here it is a financial situation. Uh, It's generations old. Historically speaking, it goes all the way back, certainly. Uh, We recognize, you know, that, well, our society is not an idealistic one. Our race, in fact, our human race is not idealistic. We should be, spiritually speaking. We should hold to spiritual ideals as the scriptures tell us to. Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. He tells, uh, Paul tells Timothy, there's something much more, much more important, much more valuable, we understand, than a natural bounty, a natural boon, a natural abundance, a natural whatever, fill in the blank, a natural desire. There's something so much more than a natural provision that, that we need to desire. Those who desire to be rich, he says in 1 Timothy 6, verse 9. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And that's speaking again about material things. But those who desire to be satisfied and abundant in anything of the world, anything based in this world, are going to fall into a similar temptation and similar snare. And into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It hasn't ultimately been, well, certainly not eternally beneficial to put your desire, put your focus, ground your life on the material things of this world. We know this. What kind of impact was Gehazi not considering here? What kind of impact? He was looking to accommodate his own natural and material good. What kind of impact was he dismissing? Well, of course, the spiritual impact, and not just to himself. We'll set his spiritual compromise, we'll set it aside for a moment, and look what he does to Naaman. Back in our text, 2 Kings 5, verse 21. So Gehazi, after talking with himself, pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? He was concerned there. What's going on? Why are you running after me? I had been dismissed by Elisha, and it was what it was. And he said, All is well. 
My master has sent me, saying, Indeed, just now two young men of the sons of prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. He made up a story. Sounds like a plausible one, perhaps. And he says, Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments. Gehazi lied to Naaman. He misrepresented Elisha, didn't he? Now, you know, I have, used to be the master of it. You know, you, t- <laughs> you know how it was. You'd ask mom, Mom, can I do this? Uh, I think this, 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 and that, and, you know, put some stipulations there, and maybe. And so you go to dad, mom said I could do this if it's good, you know, if it's good with you, or interpret it however you choose. And there were times that I was caught doing such things, and my parents didn't like when I was misrepresenting them. I've caught my kids saying, dad said, years ago, years ago, certainly. Now, I didn't like when I was being misrepresented. I don't like people speaking out of the side of their mouth what I said when I absolutely did not. He was misrepresenting Elisha here. It seems entirely fabricated, this story, right? I'm going to tell you, I think that there are certain times I can sniff out a lie when someone's lying to me. I've been rather remarkably competent at sniffing out lies from different ones. Maybe it's because I'm a cynic. Maybe it's because I'm a a skeptic and that I believe you're lying to me. But I don't believe that's always the case. But there are times when I've had it put on my heart without question. This person is bold-faced, lying straight to my face. Sometimes the Lord has me say something and address that situation in the moment. Other times he says, let it go. I leave it to him. I wonder, I wonder when Gehazi was talking with Naaman here. Did Naaman sniff this out? Was he sitting there thinking, well, this is odd? Because... Elisha didn't represent himself this way a moment ago. And here comes Gehazi, and you know, I did just talk with him a second ago. And, you know, I wonder if he didn't say, something's fishy here. What kind of testimony? What kind of testimony was Gehazi bearing out to this man who had just seen the glory of God, the benefit and the blessing of a miraculous work in his life, of his obedience? Man, did, you know he was still staggered by it. If he's anything... Anything of, of uh, sensitive to the things of God. I might, he might still have been looking at his hands. I don't know if he was missing fingers. I don't know if he had you know, lesions on his skin. I'm not sure. But can you imagine, saints, if your skin was rotting off, if you had leprosy and you came up and there was a healing there, you would just probably just constantly be looking, right? Wow. Wow, man. That's just, how long has it been since I... And maybe he didn't sniff it out. Maybe he was just so overjoyed because he did comply with Gehazi. Take two. Take two talents. But all I'm saying is that Brother Joel is praying for opportunity to benefit this one tomorrow. Something that's plainly been weighing on a number of our hearts, right? We've prayed for it a number of times. Praying for opportunity to be a blessing to this one, even at his own hurt, potentially. In offense or, or those sorts of things. Gehazi came out and he took the opportunity to potentially wreck this man. And this testimony that the Lord had done for him. Oh, by the way, yeah, my guy here who who was helping you and, you know, the one who did this for you, he's asking for your money now. Yeah, I think that the testimony was there. And I think that the testimony was potentially impact there, bringing reproach on the act of God, on the strength of God, on the mercy of God, bringing reproach when Elisha said, no, I will not take anything. And this one misrepresented him. That's reproach, saints. And I mean, that's, that's not just something that the Lord takes light, lightly, as we see here in just a moment.
Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25 in the New Testament, Paul tells us this. He says, therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, believer and unbeliever alike, but certainly we're called to do, to do good for those in the household of faith. I'm not sure if Naaman made a statement of faith. He said, there is no God except in Israel, or he's from Syria. So I'm not sure if there was a, a converting work, a regenerative work there. Perhaps there was. Maybe he cried out to the Lord, or maybe he just said, this is remarkable. This is a God here in Israel. I'm not sure. I, I, I could read it there, and I wouldn't be unconvinced if someone said, I, I believe that he was saved. But what I know is that the testimony was there, and the opportunity for salvation was there. And regardless, he was a neighbor one way or the other. And when he says, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, well, Gehazi didn't do anything to bolster that man and secure his faith, did he? No, he had a potential of bringing reproach on it there. For our benefit, saints... And for those who would be moved, impacted, shifted by an unjust reproach on the things of God, speak truth always. Speak truth particularly, particularly when it comes to the things of God. Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, not only did he misjudge the impact that his words would have or could have potentially, the Lord can protect and he often does protect from the, well, from the, Poor choices of others. He protects us from those things. Gehazi misjudged the consequences of his actions. Misjudged the potential well, of repercussions, right? And there were. Uh, back in 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 25. Uh, it confirms what we read in Proverbs 19.5 where he says, A false witness shall not go unpunished, and he who speaks lies will not escape. And his lies didn't, well, didn't remain with Naaman. Here in 2 Kings 5 and verse 25, after he had stowed away what he had received from Naaman, he went in and stood before his master Elisha and said to him, where did you, or Elisha said to him, where did you go, Gehazi? And he said, your servant didn't go anywhere. (laughs) Man, you've been lied to your children, or lied to by your children from time to time. Certainly when they're young and they're figuring all those things out. Gehazi was not a child. He was just acting like one. But you've been lied to by your kids. You know exactly what happened. You saw them do something. Uh, where did you just go? Nowhere. I, I've been sitting here the whole time. The whole time, have you? Yes, I've been sitting right uh, watching this TV. Uh, you mean you didn't get right up and go steal a, you know, one of those nasty cat hair cookies up there that I brought home from work? You didn't go steal one of those? No, I didn't do... Yeah, Come on, man. Gehazi, he was baiting him even, almost, Elisha. Where did you go? And he just wasn't seeing it. I didn't go anywhere. Uh, I've been caught in a bold-faced lie before, a number of them. I hate that feeling. There's, there's no getting around it. It's one of the most uncomfortable things ever, even when it's just a matter of shame. Even if it's just something simple and stupid, like eating the cookies. Uh, Mom told me, don't eat these cookies. I said, okay. And I... Well, there were a number of times where I did eat the cookies, but one time she said, don't eat these cookies. I said, okay, and then I found them in the trash later on. Maybe I've told this story. And I saw them, I'm like, oh, those cookies fell in the trash. Reached in, man, I ate like eight of them. Little Chips Ahoy things, didn't mind the white powder that was on them. And not feeling so good later on. And mom looked in there, and she saw the empty wrapper, and she goes, did you eat those things? No. And she's like, well, good, because they were all moldy. They were all moldy, and they had some... 
nasty things in them. And so, you know, I got what was coming to me. Didn't feel so good after that. It doesn't pay to lie oftentimes. Your sins will find you out. I heard that a lot as a child. Your sins will find you out. And Gehazi was sitting here and he was sinning, bold-faced, lying to, well, to this one who he recognized as his master. Gehazi was trying his hand there to lie at this lie to this one. Well, who was the floater of iron axe heads, if you're familiar with this story. Who dropped flour into a pot of poison stew and removed the death that was in the pot. He healed bitter waters. He fed a multitude before Jesus broke the five fish and, and or five loaves and two fish. No, five. The bread and the fish before Jesus did the bread and fish. Uh, Elisha was doing these things. He raised a dead child from the dead. And Gehazi was going to lie to his face. Just lie right to him. He knew the power that Elisha wielded. I'm not sure if that's a fair term. But what the Lord did through him. And there in verse 26, uh, it says, Then he said to him, Did not my heart, this is Elisha speaking, Did not my mind, my feelings, my understanding and comprehension, Did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants, anything that might try to satisfy your heart in lieu of the things of God? Is this the time for this? Saints, you can't lie to God. He understands when we desire something and we displace his place in our life and put something else before that. We can't lie to him. Uh, This man wasn't going to successfully lie to Elisha because Elisha was given the heart of God in that situation. And so, this is where Gehazi was pierced through with so many sorrows, as we read there in Timothy a moment ago. Proverbs 21.6 says, Getting treasures by a lying tongue is the fleeting fantasy or a passing vapor of those who seek death. Getting something by lying for it, it's never going to benefit you. It's never going to be profitable for you. It's always going to find you out. Even if we receive what we want for a time, if we've done it by deceitful means and certainly trying to lie to the Lord and lie to ourselves in order to get this and secure what we want, it's never going to pay off for us. Even if we enjoy it for a time eternally, it's not just forgotten. It's dealt with. Uh, It's something that the Lord will address at some point. And it might be right here. It might be right now in this time here. And so, we come back to this ending of this passage. And you understand, I, I, I named this uh, lesson what Gehazi took. Because if you recall there in verse 20, it's more than just ironic, more than just ironic how he phrased this. What Gehazi said. Uh, but Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Look, my master is spared name in this Syrian. I can't believe he did this. I will run after him and take something from him. And when he was revealed as a liar before the Lord, after he had stood before God and chose something else instead of what the Lord had for him to be blessed with, he did receive something from Naaman, didn't he? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever, Elisha told him. And he went out from his presence, leprous, as white as snow. Saints, God isn't spiteful. I've been called hurtful before. I don't like being called that. And that means that you're intentionally causing pain to someone with a dismissal of their feelings or their well-being. 
God isn't hurtful either. But God will allow you to hurt sometimes when you need to. Uh, the sufferings that we take fellowship with the Lord in, you know, we're given to be joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him. Sometimes we invite sufferings into our lives that need not be there. And that's when we do lie to the Lord. When we do seek something else that he says, this isn't for you. When we do try to displace him, uh, to find comfort and peace and joy and happiness in something that absolutely is not his joy, peace, comfort, and happiness. And that's what this man Gehazi did. God wasn't being hurtful to him. He was being instructional to him in allowing him to hurt. When we determine to make our own way, God sometimes allows us to have it. And sometimes he allows us to have it in the fullest, most painful measure possible. I'm going to take something from this man, he said, about Naaman. And the Lord said, okay, you're going to take all of it. And he gave him his suffering as well, even in the natural. Saints, if you intend to receive something for your own satisfaction, naturally speaking, be it financial or, or ambitiously speaking, or, or the wrong relationship, or you know, pursuing things that God doesn't have for you, whatever the situation might be, particularly if you're going to lay hold of those things or try to by deceiving him and yourself in the process, well, then be prepared to receive everything that you're looking for. You might just have everything presented to you on a silver platter, and it might just be, well, cat hair cookies, essentially, spiritually. It might be something absolutely of no benefit to you. It might be something absolutely harmful to you that you're giving up eternal blessings, eternal riches in exchange for that. This poor man Gehazi misjudged where the value of the work in Naaman's life and Naaman's leprosy was. He didn't recognize the blessing that was found in just witnessing God's work. He misjudged the impact of his own actions and his lies. He didn't recognize that the testimony before Naaman could have been wrecked if the Lord allowed it to be so. And then he misjudged the consequences for those actions. And when he determined he was going to take something of the natural from this man Naaman and enjoy it, well, he was taking something and it was rather painful as a result. Saints, allow the Lord to bless you perfectly with the gifts that he has for you. Don't deceive and don't seek those things well, that are on this earth. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all the blessings, all the abundance, all the things that maybe we don't even realize that we need will be ours in Christ Jesus.